days are taken up with those air sirens, with being in the bunker, with the day-to-day of what we're doing, which is delivering for the Ukrainian people. Continued airstrikes, civilians who were killed, volunteers who've been killed. It feels like it's never-ending. Courage and determination is very prevalent here. It's something that strikes me in all of the places that I visit. You're listening to The Lid Is On, the UN's flagship news podcast with me, Connor Lennon. This episode is going out on the 24th of February 2023, a year on from the Russian attack on Ukraine, which many, including Russia, thought would be a relatively short invasion based on the assumed strength of the Russian military in relation to Ukrainian forces. But here we are, 12 months later, and this devastating conflict grinds on. Devastating not only for the people of Ukraine, but for untold numbers in the developing world affected by the price of commodities, particularly grain, which rose sharply as the country's ability to produce and export was severely curtailed by the conflict. Denise Brown is the resident coordinator in Ukraine, the most senior UN official in the country, and she's joining me from Kiev. Hello, Denise, and thank you for joining me today. No, thank you. Let's talk a bit about where you are. Uh, I can see you're in a in a room somewhere, I presume, in the UN headquarters there. What are conditions like for you right now? Conditions have been pretty difficult here over the past couple of months with, with the winter, though it was milder than expected, but it's the same for all Ukrainians. Uh, so the cold, the constant air sirens, dashing in and out of the bunker all day long, holding meetings in the bunker, Uh, We've had to adapt to some pretty extreme uh, circumstances here in Ukraine. What's that like? Does that mean that everyone in the building has to rush out when the air raid siren goes and head downstairs? Yes, absolutely. Uh, We all do that. Um, We have one large bunker which can fit, uh, I think, over about 100 people. Uh, I've done interviews in that bunker. I've had humanitarian country team, UN country team meetings in that bunker, talked to member states in that bunker. Uh, We've spent, we calculated, over the past 12 months, more than one month in that bunker. We spent a lot of time there. Well, let's talk a bit more about the the UN set up in the Ukraine for those who don't know much about the organization. Uh, how many different parts of the UN are there, different agencies and bodies, and how do you actually coordinate? We've got all the UN agencies here. So we've got about 20 of them, and we have around 2,600 UN staff, 60% of whom are Ukrainian. So the UN in Ukraine is also Ukrainian. Uh, extremely competent, dedicated uh, individuals who are contributing to the impact, alleviating the impact of, of the war. The coordination involves, of course, the UN agencies, also the security, as well as the multitude of NGOs that are here. So we have different coordination fora for those different groups. But at some point, we all connect and come together to ensure that we have a coherent and effective response for the people of Ukraine. And explain a bit more about what your particular role is and what a typical day looks like for you in a country at war. Yeah, I'm afraid there is no typical day and there's no, there's a whole lot of my day which is unpredictable. Um, I think the the day that uh, that will stay with me for a long time, which was now, which is now a typical day, was the 10th of October with the airstrikes in, uh, in Kiev, in the center of town. Uh, one of them about 1.2 kilometers from my office at 8.20 in the morning when uh, I heard that explosion and the office started shaking and thought, ooh, now would be a good time to get into that uh, get into that bunker. It was actually the first time. So now a lot of our days are taken up with um, 
with those air sirens, with being in the bunker, with also, you know, the day to day of what we're doing, which is delivering for the for the Ukrainian people. And right now, our major focus is on delivering uh, as close as possible to the front lines. There's a lot of planning, a lot of coordination, a lot of discussion in order to get the supplies as close as possible. And we're getting very, very close to that front line. And you were in the front line uh, uh, towards the end of last year. I know you went to Kherson and um, uh, some other cities in the area. What were your impressions of that area? What life was like for people who were living in those conditions? I go regularly to the to the frontline communities because I'm really insistent that the UN staff um, do these most difficult deliveries. We have the capacity and the experience and the resources and the know-how to to do it. So they spend a lot of time and I spend quite a bit of time in places like Hersan, but also Kharkiv and Zaporizhia and Donetsk. Hersan, I think, is the one that strikes me the most because in November there was such hope when it was retaken. We were in there three days after it was retaken. It was quite a, uh, a moving day and there was people were out on the streets. President Zelensky was there. We came along behind with, uh, with trucks full of supplies. And, you know, several months later, uh, as you saw last week, there were continued airstrikes um, in the middle of the city, civilians who were killed, um, volunteers who've been killed. Uh, it's, it feels like it's never-ending in Hersan. Um, but also what's never-ending in Hersan is the, the strength and the hope of the people who stayed behind and, and who won't leave and who've told me, and I've spent enough time there to know that they're not going to leave. This is their home. And so this is a real testament also to the strength and conviction and resilience of the Ukrainian population. But some cities, uh, as we're hearing from Ukraine, practically don't exist anymore. They've been razed to the ground. There's nothing left. That's true. And I've seen that when I was on my way to Seversk near Solidar in, uh, in January. Along the side of the road were communities that had been completely flattened. Um, but they will be rebuilt. And I'm convinced that the determination of the people of Ukraine will lead to these cities and these communities uh, in these more remote areas being rebuilt. It may take a long time, but again, the courage and the determination to make that happen is very prevalent here. It's something that, that strikes me in all of the places that I visit. No one here is, is defeated. Let me put it that way. Have you had much opportunity to talk to some of the people who are living in these areas? And are there any particular exchanges that really struck you? Yes, absolutely. When we go and when I go, I spend a lot of time talking to the local authorities, the mayors, the, the people in the community. I think there are perhaps two um, two individuals that I met who really stayed with me. And this is the the mayor of Arhif, which is in Zaporizhia, about three kilometers from the front line, and the mayor of Kherson. Um, both of these mayors are women and who have stayed behind to, to take care of the communities. And they are our primary in interlocutors. We're in constant contact with them, not necessarily myself, but the teams. And when I've met them, you know, the shelling, it, particularly in Arhif, was constant when we were there. Uh, I was on the ground for less than three hours. We counted at least 20, 20 strikes 
anywhere from five to ten kilometers away. So it's this constant boom, boom. Um, and there's this fantastic woman named Svetlana who was organizing the offloading and where to put the supplies, took me to her bunker where she set up her office. And she is determined that she will remain there and support, uh, support the people who stayed behind. And it's the same for the mayor of, of her son. And her son goes through daily airstrikes. It's daily. When I was there two weeks ago, there were two strikes uh, targeting some of the systems, again, civilian infrastructure. And she's just going uh, around and ensuring that uh, the people who stayed are, are taken care of. So these are women who I've met who are courageous and who I think I will never forget. Now, the humanitarian needs seem pretty overwhelming. Over 14 million people displaced from their homes, around 40% of the population needing some kind of humanitarian aid. As you speak right now, what are the main humanitarian needs in Ukraine? There is not one main need, uh, but the most acute situation is close to the front line, uh, where houses are flattened, clinics are destroyed, as we saw in Vovchansk a couple of weeks ago, a clinic that I visited in mid-January a month later was was destroyed. So they need everything. They need everything in these communities. So we are very much focused on those deliveries. We're also very much focused on the psychosocial trauma, particularly for children, and putting in place where we can um, support for these children. But that becomes increasingly difficult the closer we get to the front line because our presence there or the national actors presence there uh, which is absolutely tremendous depends on you know how many missiles are falling that day so there's a real limitation to what we can do to support those kids but i would say those are two of the real primary concerns that uh, that we have right now the un has called for safe and unhindered access to all parts of the country to deliver aid life-saving aid in many cases can you tell me what kind of access you currently have we have access to all parts of the territory that are controlled by U the Ukrainians. We don't yet have access across that front line. It is something that uh, we request very regularly to both the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine and Ministry of Defense of Russia. We consistently receive a positive response from the Ukrainian side. Uh, we have not yet received a similar uh, response from the Russian side. It's essential that we have access across that front line. We'll be able to go tomorrow if I get the green light, but I need those guarantees. Uh, we are taking quite a few risks here uh, and to send people across the front line to assist people who I am convinced are in a desperate situation requires some kind of guarantee. And I'm really hopeful and that that will come. There's been a renewed appeal for funding for humanitarian aid in, in Ukraine. What would your message be to donors to ensure that you get that money? The war continues and the war is intensifying. So as long as the war continues, uh, we can reasonably expect that the population is affected by the war. And therefore, the humanitarian crisis, although calling it a crisis, seems, seems so insignificant compared to what it is. That suffering continues, and until that war is over, we have to continue to support the people of Ukraine who are living through this. Yet the prospects for peace in the short term don't seem to be very strong or encouraging. I often see this phrase, war of attrition, 
Do you think we're going to be having a similar conversation to this one in February 2024? I really hope not. I really hope not. Well, Denise Brown, thank you so much for speaking to us today. We uh, really appreciate it and wish you and the team out there all the best. Thank you very much.